This podcast contains swear words. Hey, hey, fancy friends. I'm Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, and this is Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, a podcast about art making, creativity in all its splendor, not giving up, and living well in the process. Process? Up for debate. Although I'm coming from the perspective of a performing artist, the themes and issues discussed here apply to all of us, whether you consider yourself an artist or no. Life is a creative act. As I mentioned, I'm Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, your host. I'm a choreographer, an actor, dancer, writer, an educator, and very recently, a student in my first weeks of my MFA on the unceded stolen ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations on the west coast of Turtle Island. Okay, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, a little reminder to please share, rate, review, stars, all the stars, thumbs up, hearts, what are all the things? And share this episode with your friends. I know a lot of people get a lot out of it. Sometimes it's just so comforting to hear other people talking about the shit that we're thinking about. Makes a difference. And if it is in your means and inclination to donate even a little bit, helps us so much. We do give our guests honorariums. They are working artists, working really hard, and most of the time not making very much money. You can go up to the right-hand corner, www.terrashine.com, click that Donate button. We'll put that link in the show notes. All right, my guest today, Faye Nass. She, he, they. Faye is the executive and artistic director of the Frank Theater here in so-called Vancouver, a fantastic queer-focused theater company doing amazing work. They've got a show coming up. If you're listening to this, I'm recording September 2023, coming up at The Cult, How Black Mothers Say I Love You, directed by Faye. A lot of amazing artists involved in that project, so get your tickets. I will be getting mine. In this interview, Faye, who is a director, curator, dramaturg, writer, producer, multidisciplinary artist, community-engaged, practice person, thinker. We talk about all kinds of things. We talk about community engagement, how that relates to artistic practice. We talk about academia and art making and how that connects and disconnects. Faye has so many insightful things to say. It's very helpful for me as I enter into my master's of fine arts at the old university. Uh, The idea of politics and the personal all that good stuff, and how they feel about working the digital plane. So do enjoy. Finesse. It's so good to have you on Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, finally. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite, Tara. Yeah. So you're just preparing for the interview and reading over your extensive bio. Um, I started grad school last week, and... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so old. Anyway... (laughs) Congratulations. The first question I think I'll start out with is because there's talk of like interdisciplinary. What is interdisciplinary? Is it a word we should even be using it anymore? And like myself, you have director, writer, dramaturge, community engaged artist, etc. 
What do you think about that in all your roles? First of all, congratulations. That's really exciting. Uh, to me, you know, in the beginning when I started my interdisciplinary, you know, degree, uh, MFA, I was kind of thinking like theater, it's an interdisciplinary art piece because we are constantly working with many different forms, you know, from writers, directors, designers. Um, so it's not like a solo practice in terms of, you know, form and discipline. But I think for me, the idea of interdisciplinary studies was kind of like shifting my brain in the way that we were creating work, you know, or like, you know, systems of, you know, in my own experience, for example, that's when I started Devise. And for me, one of the elements of Devise was like looking at lighting and sound as the two kind of main components of creation, not as an added design element, but really like, you know, through the framework of even from beginning before I was like, you know, writing the script, I was collaborating with the lighting and the sound uh, designers uh, that we were kind of writing the piece for my MFA uh, through the lens of lighting and sound. So I feel like in that sense, it was a different kind of practice of looking at form as an interdisciplinary art rather than like, you know, added elements where those things come together. It was perhaps like a mindset shift. And for me, it was beneficial. That shift was beneficial. And also uh, kind of looking at performance art and uh, visual arts, like, you know, through like a kind of theoretical as well as practical framework that I think uh, they have in much more of a profound way have influenced my work, you know, outside of like, you know, these kind of hats that I wear within theater as a director, dramaturg, all of those things. But I think it was the interconnection of those forms through the interdisciplinary that was refreshing and exciting compared to my more you know classical training in my undergrad if that makes sense yeah that's amazing the word that popped out for me was that interconnectedness and which i think kind of speaks to intersectionality like that idea i don't know see if you agree with this but it's like kind of a flattening of hierarchies boy we're just digging in right away aren't we yeah <laughs> in terms of you know designers like you say lighting and sound are so often in theater brought in like 11th hour. Mm -hmm. I find it heartbreaking to watch these people like madly try and integrate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I mean, we need more money, Canada Council, everybody, so that we can bring people in right at the beginning and really, like really collaborate, mm -hmm. right? Have you had a project that you really feel is like, ah, this is collaboration? Uh, yeah, actually, like in a few, um, I would say like definitely my master thesis was one project that I really wanted to always return to. Like that's like, you know, that the luxury is what you're saying to Canada Council, right? Like the luxury of doing an MFA means time and space. And I don't mean only time and space, like in a literal form, but in a way that like your brain is not focused on like, you know, running a company and like, you know, budgeting and like million of other things. So it's like the actual mental space that exists in like that two years that, you know, you're hyper-focused on an idea or a thesis or a concept. So I feel like there is something very utopic about that that that's a privilege and so i think like to like i had time i had space with my collaborators over a year where i was writing the script but through the lens of like you know what is possible what is not possible and it's like one of the projects that even though i did it in 2011 it's just still one of the you know most artful because it was like truly about kind of like a creative like how do we bring these visions to work you know and so there was like nothing else in terms of like you know extra layers of like you know dealing with uh I don't know. It was like genuinely being an artist in the space and collaborating. And that's a feeling I haven't felt for a long time or uh, not as often. 
And then also when I did Unveiled with a group of Iranian women that they did not have any theater training, again, like throughout the year, uh, we were just conversing and there was just like, you know, this beautiful like gatherings that we had every single week. And then eventually it became more and more into like form and concept coming together. That's the piece that we took Fresh Fruits Festival and um, how to um, rhubarb and summer works. Yeah, so like I feel like whenever there is like not that pressure of like, you know, kind of product within three weeks and you have that kind of a space and you're choosing your collaborators based on like, you know, how you're fitting in these pieces based on your strengths and skills and weaknesses. And like, you know, you share similar values and vision. Those projects to me are just like, okay, this is why I remember I'm doing this thing, um, you know, always being poor, but the fulfillment, the, the satisfaction is like, you know, I choose this over like, you know, this was a good decision that I finished my, you know, uh, studying LSAT, but didn't go to law school. This is the feeling that I wanted to have, you know. But yeah, like, I mean, they're not as often as I would like them. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. You talked about the unveiling that project. And one of my questions was about community engagement, because you do a lot of work that is, quote unquote, engaging community. How do you think of that? How does that influence you as a creator? And how does that fold into your other work that might not be interpreted as community engagement? You know, there's a big question marks I find around what we call community and what we call, mm -hmm. quote unquote, professional practice. Totally. So, you know, I love working like the community engaged work that they do, like they have different components. One of them is often like around a kind of inquiry, you know, right? Like, you know, a question that I have, you know, it being unveiled, being about um, how women were forced to. Uh, take off their hijab in 1930s in Iran and then they were forced to put their hijab on in 1978 and like you know the effects of like patriarchy as a question and like you know through the lens of like you know Iranian history um, you know that being a question it just starts with the conversation and I feel like the people that are the most expert or people that like you know we don't use the word expert but most genuine in having these conversations are those that they come from different walks of life so, you know so with that project I wanted like people who don't like you know I grew up um, non-religious and I also wanted to talk to people who have very different views you know and like and to really engage communities of people that i may not even you know intersect with or i wouldn't perhaps even if i lived in iran you know like um if i was still in iran and so like you know for the other projects as well is just like i feel like what makes me exhausted is like you know kind of being in the same silo of the same conversations and the same mentality and the same thinking and part of the outreach is like you know this question of like well why don't we have enough stories enough diverse stories because a lot of those people don't go to you know, universities and like, you know, those spaces have like historically have not been welcoming. I have had those experiences all throughout my academia and just like, you know, was kind of wanting to not join the statistics of, you know, kind of giving up. But uh, it was hard. Like I still, am, you know, for the rest of my life, will be paying student loans and most people are not as insane, you know, to not have any kind of family funding to do that and to not go to like, you know, medical school and go to theater school to, you know, always be broke. But <laughs> but I wanted to do that. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people are smarter and they don't do that. So but it does not mean that they don't come with like, you know, wealth of the stories, right? So for me, there are two aspects of it. One is like, you know, engaging in the spaces that are actually diverse in way of thinking, even within the same subgroup or marginalized group. And the second is like, okay, like, you know, how can we bring these stories to life in a way that we are not inserting stories of others within the same kind of, you know, legacy of, you know, Eurocentric framework, legacy of like, um, you know, kind of well-made plays, all of those things. And how can we look at the idea of, diversity of the story, but also diversity of how we tell stories. 
and uh, you know, and so kind of like the relationship between the aesthetic of a storytelling and the content of the stories have always been very interesting to me. The way of thinking is different when you speak a different language, when you have a different culture, and like you know, when you put that thinking into like, okay, you know, we just kind of commissioned this person, you know, from Iran, but we are asking them to think within this framework. The stories are often, you know, still not really relatable in some ways, or they lack or disappoint uh, one part or the other part of the community. And then the last aspect of it for me has always been. How can I work with communities through like, you know, this like longer period, but then also bringing these stories into high production qualities, right? So like when you work with communities, then like, you know, the quality, which are all like, you know, wrong words too, but the work remains within the communities, you know, like that's like, you know, the person who knows that kind of work is coming to like, you know, an underground venue where there are like 15 people and there's like a light switch. And then like, you know, everyone is working with like $5 fabrics. And then you're just like, okay, you know, this is like, you know, why can't this be? Uh, a film why can't this be at like a major uh, art exhibition gallery you know and so usually these projects that I do go through like a two-year process uh, working in through device with community members and also really not forcing them to like you know, gain necessarily specific theater skills but rather like how can we work and you know one of the things about this kind of work that has been like, amazing is that like I never know what is going to come out of it you know like you know the diaspora project was a verbatim uh, in the beginning at the community center, which then it became like belonging, which is one of the you know most major projects that the Frank has done, like you know in terms of the aesthetic and like the film and like you know how we created a hybrid process through that and you know the film festival that the film was selected as they were all like you know professional and not community film festivals. Um, our next project, which was Mother Tongues, also ended up being a you know short documentary film with Love Intersection. And right now I'm working on a sound audio-based exhibition of that project, you know, which I'm hoping for it to be in a you know major gallery rather than in a so you know, it's just like the idea of like, okay, these stories are happening in a very kind of organic well way we work together, but also the final you know exhibition does not need to not have elements of like, you know, professional discipline either being theater or being film or uh, you know a performance art gallery exhibition uh, so I really kind of want to subvert that notion that like if people don't have theater training it means the result needs to be a community uh, kind of underground exhibition you know what I mean like yeah yeah and also bringing that work into my professional work to answer your last part of the question is that I, I still work with that same mentality when I am working with, you know, equity actors and everything. So how can we make this process a community-based project in terms of looking at time being a circular thing, not something that like, you know, it has like, you know, this, this urgency, like, you know, breaking notions of white supremacy around like, you know, flexibility means like, you know, that you're not good enough or, you know, holding time to, you know, cry for 30 uh, minutes or an hour it means that like we are behind on page like 35 and we should have been on page 45 by this time. Like all of those things, like I try to, you know, deconstruct as well in like in professional settings. And, you know, and sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're very scary for many people who have worked in a certain way, you know, and it just kind of feels like a bit maybe chaotic or not professional, you know. Uh, but I am also in interested in kind of subverting that space uh, through the lens of like, you know, what love and love and, you know, generosity and care means that, you know, uh, and bringing the community practice into those spaces as well. I hope it answers um, in a very long convoluted. That was not convoluted at all. That was like, and you remembered all the points. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, I mean, it's so fantastic and so potent. And the deconstructing of how we do things, it really does change things. And I mean, I've had the experience so many times of feeling like, oh, we just took two hours to check in and having some people get like really like about that. But I look at the work in hindsight, or especially if I'm remounting something, I can see all that work that happened in the check-ins is in the piece. You know, it's all this like extra depth. And the question that popped into my mind while you were talking is like, are there changes in aesthetic that you have witnessed in your work that are influenced by or that you can see influenced by that new kind of practice or this deconstructing, decolonial, you know, dismantling the patriarchy, anti-racist care model in terms of aesthetic was just something that that I. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I mean, I feel like perhaps like it has always been in there and then it's a bit more articulated. You know, I think that like one of the things uh, that I have always been interested in, you know, being originally from Iran and like, again, the way of thinking. And this came out a lot during my MFA uh, master's study, this like, you know, notion of like, um, you know, kind of Descartes way of looking at arts, like through this lens of like, you know, I think therefore I am kind of thing. It's a very different way of thinking and as a result way of seeing uh, compared to many cultures, like Persian culture, uh, which is all about like, you know, I feel therefore I am, you know. And so like, I feel like there's something about the kind of viscerality uh, that is really important to me. And perhaps like, you know, many years ago when I was younger in my 20s, uh, I was doing kind of a lot more like, you know, work that they, aesthetically they were all about this, like, you know, kind of conceptual or like, you know, kind of cerebral uh, way of viewing the work. And I feel like I'm going back more into my kind of ancestral or like in a way of feeling. Uh, but I also think the other kind of like more on a formal level influence is really kind of like the work that I'm more and more interested in to be honest is like kind of performance art sound based gallery kind of work which has always been there again but I feel like more and more I'm just kind of like aesthetically really love uh, working with like kind of audio and sound and telling stories in that way um bodies and you know dancers and choreography like has always been something that I'm interested I don't dance and I'm not a good mover personally at all Uh, but again telling stories outside of like you know words as that kind of literal uh, notion of words um, which I think also is linked to this kind of idea of like non-linear storytelling in a way that like you know still has the component of connecting to something that is visceral you know so like you know just not not linear because we have no kind of nothing to hold on to aesthetically, but like non-linear in a way that we can still somehow feel we are part of something bigger uh, and as a collective experience. I think that's something that I'm, you know, more and more interested to experiment with and work with collaborators who do actually have practice outside of theater. Oh, I love that. I too am like really interested in sound. And I noticed when I was working on a piece a few years ago, but I had stories from my parents and they recorded them on their phones. And the emotional response of my body was so intense, way more intense than looking at photographs. Yeah. I just wondered if you have any like thoughts about the difference between just hearing somebody's voice and an image or a traditional kind of, you know, somebody standing and talking. I often think about this idea of like intimacy. You know, I love work that is intimate, even if it's a work that is like happening in like you know, major stages and, you know, big theaters, doesn't matter. 
but like what does intimacy mean and i think there's something about sound and voice and audio that creates a different level of intimacy i have that experience still like you know when i'm talking on the phone with someone and you know i'm just hearing them if it's like a difficult conversation or a loving conversation or any like level of need to be more connected i find like that intimacy of sound the ability of sound to create that on a kind of a you know, like, you know, touching the strings of one's heart is really different than even when I'm doing like, you know, FaceTime or like the visual element gets added to it. It's almost like there is like an invisible wall. Like, I don't know if it is like kind of a phenomenological experience that we are projecting something into the other person or like, you know, getting back too much information uh, from their facial expressions, their movements that like, you know, they kind of like almost like, you know, this like like there are so many other things that our brain is paying attention to that we lose that kind of intimacy. Maybe there is that. I don't know. I feel like it happens in a very, like, you know, kind of a neurological, uh, like physiological level, you know, like, so I don't have the kind of scientific uh, response, but I do know that I do feel that difference as you're talking about in body as well. Like, you know, when I hear, you know, just like even like talking to my grandma on the phone, you know, like right. that voice is just like, it's almost like time and space. Like, you know, something gets kind of frozen in a moment too, because the voice doesn't change that much, you know, throughout time, you know, uh, but the face does. It's neat to think about. I'm like, ooh, and see if I can look up some neuroscience about that. Cause it's almost like, you know, like whisper in the dark kind of, Literally. you know, feeling and hey, everybody, we should talk on the phone more. Instead of just texting and emailing all the time, it's just like, it really is quite profound and changes our like emotional state. Mm-hmm. I have a question about how you have found, this is like totally selfish of me because I just started my MFA, but academia and art making. And, you know, I'm having this, um, like, it's so exciting reading all this stuff, but I'm like, okay, but, but the art making and when, like afterwards, after I get the MFA because I'm going to get it. Yeah, like your return to art making. Can you integrate it? Have you integrated it? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, I specifically wanted to do my MFA in a way that there was a a high level of academic component and like a kind of philosophy and aesthetic because I was personally needing that kind of um, cheese, like, you know, the mental brain tease, like, you know, that. uh, And I really wanted to kind of like, you know, read more and, that aspect for me was actually the best part, to be honest with you. Like maybe even the pause on art making in a way that I was doing the art making, but like, you know, having this kind of bigger space of thinking about this, like, you know, philosophical questions, many of them perhaps completely irrelevant, you know, but I do think that like in life outside of academia, we don't have a lot of opportunities in terms of time to think about irrelevant things. And I feel like irrelevant things are exciting in terms of that, like, you know, sense of possibility or that, you know, like the synopsis in your neurons, like moving super fast, thinking about things that are outside of you or, you know, your everyday body experience. I enjoyed that aspect. Um, The combination of doing that work and then wanting to create, you know, a final thesis project that it was very practical based was definitely an anxiety inducing and I don't know, like, I mean, it was, you know, in some ways it was horrible. In other ways, like there was like a you know, birth of new consciousness in some, you know, in, in, in levels um, that I would not think about if there was not that, academic, there, there wasn't that academic component. 
Um, in terms of, you know, what is left, like, it's funny because, you know, you talk about your thesis for two years and it becomes your identity. And then, like, you know, you graduate and you get your MFA and then you can no longer say, I'm doing my MFA and the people don't ask you anymore, like, what's your thesis? <laughs> and so there is, like, an existential crisis that definitely follows after. And then I felt, like, for me, was about what were the things that I really loved and how can I create those spaces in my actual practice? And, like, you know, what are some of the possibilities of having many, many ways of different forms and different ways that people have done things and to be able to borrow those ways and, you know, kind of like uh, implement them in the way that I work things. And I think one of the direct things that came out for me was the practice of device, to be honest, you know, but I know like, you know, what I, for example, studied as device with like, you know, um, and Bogart theater and all of that, I was like very much like in a group of professionals that they came together and devised. And for me, it was like, okay, how can I like, you know, use device in a way that like, you know, is closer to my own uh, sense of belonging, identity, the intersections of things that I'm interested in. So, you know, it was kind of like, you know, taking the old and the new and what has been hidden or forgotten and kind of combining them as like a, a new form of practice that I think was definitely influenced by the space that I had during my other thing. Great. No one cares that you haven't. No, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was very clear when I did the interview. I was like, I know this isn't going to get me anything <laughs> except buy me like two years to think about art instead of feel like a mediocre grant writer. <laughs> oh, so glamorous. Isn't it glamorous? Um, looking at, because um, I've seen a few films uh, and digital projects you've done, I'm very interested in what is happening to our brains with the digital in good ways and bad ways. And um, how are you feeling about art making in the digital world? And how is that crossing over? Yeah, any thoughts on that part of your practice? Yeah, sure. So uh, my minor is in film studies and like, you know, cinema has always been my passion. Like sometimes like, you know, try to hide it and like hearing the lineup of this to not run into as many theater people to just kind of be like, oh my God, like I am seeing a film tonight instead of a play. Um, so I've been dealing with that kind of uh, guilt. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think for me personally, like a lot of what I was trying to do during my master's was like, how can, like what I love about cinema is this dance or the tango between the relationship in the camera and what is being viewed and that control uh, that you have to so, like, you know, how like camera can create that tension between close up and, you know, like, you know, going in and out. And so like, even in the theater piece that I did, that was like, you know, theater in the dark was very much about how can we kind of live bring the cinematic experience into theater by like, you know, using the interplay of light and dark as a format of like live, almost like in you know, a copy, like almost live editing. If the eyes are getting kind of used to these images coming in and out and not knowing what's happening and like, you know, playing with that foregrounding, backgrounding. So I have always kind of feel like for me, I love the intimacy of theater and I love the ability to play with the way that we see um, and, you know, just not seeing one full stage with like, you know, one same lighting, you know, from the same distance and playing with proximity. Uh, that was always very exciting for me in, in, in film, you know. So during the pandemic and also with my cafe project, I kind of wanted to bring these elements together, you know, the intimacy of theater and the kind of proximity of camera in the work that we did with belonging and really kind of like making it hybrid. And that that work also was, you know, between uh, Samich and myself and Magna. I worked with them before uh, with Magna as a community participant uh, and, you know, kind of brought like all these stories that they were told by many, many different communities concerned but like you know as they are a uh, documentary filmmaker we wanted to kind of look uh, through the lens of new media film and theater as we were kind of like rewriting these stories 
Um, so it was already part of it. It was not a play that was then filmed. You know, it was already like, okay, this is where it's going to be new media. This is like, okay, write the new media section. This is where it's going to be filmed. This is how. It... So, you know, in that sense, again, it was like very interdisciplinary or, you know, multidisciplinary in the way that it was written. And I have become more and more interested in that format of like, you know, having that as like the first step rather than like, you know, the final step. Uh, because I think in the work that I have experienced when the theater is being filmed as a digital form, something gets lost in that. And uh, and I'm not saying like there's not things that are lost in belonging, but I think there was like, you know, definitely an element that like, you know, you knew that you're looking at a hybrid experimental work. And so whenever people ask me what it is, like, I cannot say that belonging is film or belonging is theater or belonging is new media. Belonging is not film and is not theater and is not new media, you know? And so I think I was kind of like trying to use that framework of creating the interdisciplinary aspect of it, of it not being that rather than being that. Uh, so it can have its own identity, a new new identity. Um, and then, yeah, like even with the site-specific work, I'm still interested, you know, with the cafe, I was really trying to explore the idea of the body becoming the camera, you know, being able to sit in that close proximity or moving. And, and so I think that they have constantly been in a role play with each other, you know, and I think the pandemic for me specifically was an opportunity to think, you know, to bring things that I have thought about for like, you know, decades in my head and to kind of have, the permission by our founders and by the world around me uh, to kind of like experiment with them. And, uh, and so, yeah, like, you know, you know, belonging was funny because like I sent it to a few theater places as a digital work, which, you know, a, a year later, the culture actually was interested and they had it as a replay. But at the beginning, like when I sent it to a few places, they were like, mm, it's not exactly, you know, it was kind of like it had no identity, you know, and then when it was sent to film festivals, I think because film is more used to different formats, they were just like, hmm, we don't get it. It's experimental. So it kind of got under the experimental genre in a bunch of people. <laughs> so, you know, like, uh, yeah, so I think that's what I would say. Like, I feel like it is an exciting opportunity for the birth of new forms. I think to me, we should look at the COVID and the pandemic as like, you know, many things, you know, of how, you know, uh, futurist movement was born and like you know how data was born like they all were born after major kind of you know cultural political shifts hold fears war and so i think that we need to look at it, uh, the digital work not as like a way that they like, you know we're kind of extending what we were doing but as a way of like in a new form like a possibility for the birth of new form uh, that can exist and we can kind of eventually gain new literacy of viewing it or observing it because I don't think that we're there yet. We are still comparing it with what we have seen and what needs to be and what it's not. And I'm excited about the possibility of it. I love that. Imagination is transformation. And it also, um, I found like for my brain went to what we were talking about right at the beginning of the interview, you know, not asking humans to fit into boxes, mm -hmm. <laughs> not asking art to fit into you know, is it this or is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Which I find so boring and exhausting. Is it dance or is it theater? Yeah. Yes, no. <laughs> Next question. Yes, I do. <laughs> I love your prompt. And I just want to like offer that to any artists who are listening that like it's not film, it's not dance, it's not theater, it's not mime, it's not performance art. As just like a how can we enter a creative practice with that? Because it seems really fun. And a little bit like a toddler, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, 
and a way of rejecting that idea because it's so so colonial that idea of like well you have to fit in over here or over here what's your discipline and even that word discipline too is like well that doesn't sound like a lot of fun (laughs) right my second last question what is coming up what's the next project you have what's the next thing we can get tickets or find a way to see Yes, I mean, a bunch of things are coming up. Like the first project that is coming up uh, the soonest is uh, How Black Mothers Say I Love You uh, by Trey Anthony. I'm really excited that I have the privilege of directing it with amazing cast and crew. And it's part of the college season opening November 2nd. Um, there are other projects like the Mother Tongues project. We are still in the process of like, you know, kind of further development and hoping for it to have its uh, exhibition gallery run. And uh, we're in our final stages of Maps of Utopia, which is our next digital uh, solo, one-person film theater hybrid that uh, we work with incredible uh, commissioned writers across uh, Canada, uh, trans and non-binary artists, as well as, you know, performed in Vancouver, worked with amazing film crew. Uh, So that one is going to hopefully be in this fiscal as as well as part of the French. So, yeah, you know bunch of things i would say like in terms of buying tickets buy your tickets for how black mothers say all over you if you can oh yeah. yeah get those soon and the culture always has if finances are a barrier the culture is really great about making sure people can can see all right my last last question is is there something and it can be anything that you have been doing these days to keep yourself feeling creative or gives you kind of juice or gets you through the day anything whether it's like cooking or a tv show anything at all um (laughs) (laughs) well i have been thinking about a new uh project that i am you know working actually like i've got some canada council grants like a year ago to write it and like um just in the past month i've been having a new idea of it to become like a more of a dance and audio lighting piece And yeah, and it's really about uh, kind of like my mom's story and, um, you know, returning to Iran in 77, uh, right before the revolution and getting stuck there. And then the relationship of, you know, being in a woman's body and the idea of exile and uh, looking at exile as like a form of kind of like literal exile versus like, you know, being in exile in a body that you feel you were assigned to, uh, that you don't belong to, which kind of leads to my own story. Uh, so I'm working on that. I'm, you know, just excited to start interviewing my mom and um, just, you know, I've uh, been talking to a couple of collaborators and uh, like just kind of the visuals are coming to me now. And so I've been spending like, you know, an hour every day kind of looking at a blank uh, Microsoft Words um, page and just writing a word or two after an hour and just kind of like images. And that has been definitely exciting to do a project that uh, is near to my heart and it's kind of like, you know, my own kind of creative, um, creative work. So, yeah. That sounds exciting Thank you. and beautiful. And I love the, like, looking at the blank screen, writing one or two words. I feel like we all need to give ourselves permission to, like, redefine what is work. And, you know, sometimes I go into the studio, I lie on the floor, I roll around, and I, it's always right before I have to go. Like, I'm almost out of time. All of a sudden, I like get, like, <laughs> a big idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I make up one move, and then I go, and it's fine. Lovely. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And we will link to all those projects in the show notes. And I hope to have you on the show again because I've got more questions. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Tara. Thank you for amazing questions. And this was definitely something that was inspiring this past one hour. So so thank you. Oh, thank you. You're inspirational. Thank you. Have a lovely day.
You too. And that wraps it up. Thank you so much, Faye, for sitting down and talking to me. We'll definitely do it again. I've got more questions. Always more questions. And thank you for listening. It really does mean a lot that you do. Get in touch. Instagram, Tara Cheyenne, TCP on the old Instagrams. Tara Cheyenne Performance on the Facebook, if you're my mom, um, or somebody who uses Facebook. Or you can just email. I do like the email. Info at TaraCheyenne.com. Make a suggestion. Maybe you know somebody you'd like to hear interviewed on the show, or maybe you'd like to have your show advertised. Do a little plug. Love to plug. Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne is a project of Tara Cheyenne Performance. Produced, edited, and with original? Original music by Mark Stewart. You can get in touch with Mark at markstewartmusic.com. Mark produces podcasts and does music, so if you've got a podcast or just an idea, he's the person to talk to. And for more information on what you heard in the podcast today, go to our show notes. We'll link you to the show at the college, to the Frank Theater, and any other amazing little tidbits that we can link to in those show notes. And before we go on into our days or nights or mornings, again, a reminder to donate if you can. TaraCheyenne.com, upper right-hand corner, donate button. Or we'll link that in the show notes. And finally, the quotation of today, I can't find who wrote this. So if you recognize it and you're like, oh my God, that was me, please let me know. I've got it written down. I've Googled it, can't find it. But it's a good one. So good art doesn't solve the problem. It presents the problem. I love it. All right. Have a good one. We'll see you next time. This podcast is effing good.